Welcome to the Business of Discovery, a clinical research podcast from the NIHR Clinical Research Network. My name is Alan Gall, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm joined today by Helen Pitt, who is the UK CRF Network Director and combines this with the role of Operational Director at the NIHR Wellcome Trust Manchester Clinical Research Facility. Helen joined the CRF development team in Manchester as the nurse manager in 1999 and was involved in the establishment of the CRF from day one. She developed the clinical research team and together with the medical director was responsible for growing the study portfolio. She then moved into the roles of clinical manager and deputy director prior to taking up her current role as operational director. Helen was appointed as UK CRF network director in 2009. Helen, thank you very much for speaking with us today. You're welcome. The Clinical Research Facility, or CRF, is now very much an established part of the UK research landscape. And the, the idea of a centralised facility with research-dedicated staff and equipment is undoubtedly attractive to many organisations, especially given the highly regulated nature of modern clinical research. But certainly not all research in the UK is conducted in CRFs. So can I begin by asking you a little bit about that? Can you tell us first how you would define a CRF and what kind of services it can offer clinical investigators? Yes, certainly. Um, so a CRF to me um, is essentially um, a purpose-built area to conduct clinical research trials. Um, in England, the NIHR fund, um, well, provide funding, um, over £112 million worth of funding for um, 23 um, dedicated facilities. And those facilities are um, essentially to support translational experimental um, medicine studies. So very early phase clinical trials. And they would traditionally provide um, inpatient or outpatient facilities, staff and equipment to support um, clinical research trials. There are other clinical research facilities in the UK and Ireland, um, and they can support either early phase trials, but obviously if they're not in England, they're not funded by the NIHR, but they can you know, have other funding sources to um, provide their infrastructure costs for them. Um, but also there can be clinical research facilities that support later phase studies. Um, they tend to be kind of phase two downwards or even observational studies. Um, and they vary really. They don't always have to provide inpatient facilities. They could be an outpatient based um, facility. So there is variation. Um, but the very clear thing is, if it's funded by the NIHR as part of the clinical research scheme, those CRFs are to support translational experimental um, clinical research. So um, I just want to pick up a little bit on some of the variants you talked about there. I mean, there are very different models of clinical research facilities around. Some are general facilities, while some focus on particular healthcare problems or particular patient groups, such as the children's CRF you have here in Manchester. Some provide a, a complete service, while others might only offer access to space or equipment. Can you elaborate a little bit on the differences our listeners might see if they were actually to come and visit a clinical research facility for the first time? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think in, in many respects, it um, 
your clinical research facility and the way that it's set up is driven by local need. Um, and that's the important thing, really. Your clinical research facility has to um, support your local researchers. So if, for example, you know, you're working with an on in an oncology um, hospital, then your clinical research facility will support those clinical trials. In terms of whether um, it... it um, provides you know a whole range of support from setup through to delivery i think that is determined by the funding that's available um kind of what is available within that area as well um so some crfs are set up with funding from their r&d department or university funding and that might be very much driven by a local need they may need a very comprehensive service um, some CRFs, you know, if they're in a very large teaching hospital, they may already have part of that service delivered by um, the infrastructure that they've got available. And so they may need to just focus on the delivery aspects. So it is very much driven by um, the fund, where your funding's coming from and kind of what that funding is provided um, for. The local need, um, the investigators that you've got in your area, and, and also kind of what's affordable really and what you've got the space to set up. Um, so certainly within my role as UK CRF director, um, part of the role is to support new sites to set up um, clinical research facilities. And part of that scoping exercise is really to look at what they've got available within their local area, what space they've got available to set up a CRF. And some CRFs can be set up with, you know, as small an area as two beds on the end of a ward. But it's about setting it up, establishing it, demonstrating there's a need for it. And then people can grow their infrastructure depending on what the local need is. So there is no one set model um, and, you know, it, it is very, very much, I would say, about looking at what your local need is, what you can achieve within your space and kind of building up your CRF dependent on that. And I think that really brings me to my next question, which I think you probably already answered to some extent, you know, that although there's all these different models, do, we, do you think there's any kind of optimal model? I mean, all other things being equal, if you had to start from scratch now and build a CRF, um, obviously you've said you would look to what the local needs were. You'd yeah. obviously look to see what was already there in place. Um, if funding wasn't an issue, if other things weren't a problem and a constraint, which of course they are in real life, would you? what would you build? Um, well, I, I would start with what is the local need, what is the ambition, what, what is available. But I think the key thing is um, whatever you build, it's got to be flexible. Mm -hmm. um, so what the local need is now may change within a five-year period. So you've got to have a space that is flexible, that is responsive. Um, that's not just about dependent on um, your local researchers. That's all also very dependent on the type of research that is being developed kind of nationally, internationally. So, you know, 10 years ago, um, we didn't consider precision medicine. You know, a lot of CRS weren't doing um, genetics research, whereas now that is very common practice and CRS have had to adapt um, to support that kind of research. So you have to have a flexible space. I think it's about having a space that 
can grow because undoubtedly once you've proven um, kind of that the model works within your area, you will have a greater demand for it. Yes, almost every CRF is too small, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Um, that they, they all grow outside of kind of the remit of the walls, really. But it's about remaining flexible in terms of the way you work as well. So just because you've not got the physical space to do something, you may be able to um, deliver studies, you know, within the hospital environment or within a community environment. So it's not just about remaining flexible in terms of the physical space, it's about remaining flexible in the way you consider the work really and looking at your work differently as well. Um, I think you have to consider what, what type of trials you're going to focus on. And I think that is quite important in terms, of, in terms of staff training and development. So what I would say is, um, if you're considering supporting early phase trials, you're, you, know, you have to have particular equipment within your facility. Um, ideally, you should be based within a hospital environment and access to ITU because you're running very high risk trials. Um, your staff have to be very well trained to support those type of trials. Um, so, for instance, you know, in, in our children's facility in Manchester, we, we may kind of induce anaphylaxis um, on a very regular basis in, in very small children. So your staff have to be able to respond to that and be very well trained to support those children. Um, so I, I don't think there is an ideal model. Um, I, I think y you, you have to look at what's available locally, how you're going to develop, the funding you may possibly have available to you, um, but I think it is very important to remain flexible and adaptable to the changes that come along in terms of research. You've talked a little bit about how CRS have developed perhaps over the last 10 years, changing requirements of them. If we look to the future, how do you, how do you see CRFs developing? Um, do you think the current CRF models will continue unchanged or do you see any other changes to happen? Um, I mean, I think I would reflect back really on, on um, my last answer really in terms of that. I think um, it, it's difficult to say because we don't know how research will evolve, if I'm being entirely honest. Um, I think the model that we've, we've got in place at the moment has worked well for the past 20 years. Um, I think, you know, new models of... Um, what is considered a CRF are, are developing, so they don't always have to be in one physical space, um, and, and those models are working extremely well. I think we've got to look at um, where healthcare may be delivered in the future, um, and that is undoubtedly, undoubtedly going to be a more community-based model. Um, so we have to take into consideration that really, you know, do patients want to come to a central location to be involved in clinical trials or do we have to go out to patients? Um, I think for high risk trials, um, it is important that they are conducted in an environment that can support them. Um, so that is probably in, you know, secondary care really. But for other trials, you can be quite adaptable in terms of how they're delivered. 
I think it's essential that we listen to patients in terms of what they want as well. Um, and obviously, you know, patients are now asking to be involved in trials more and more. Um, and all the work that's been done nationally in terms of making patients aware of trials and their rights to be involved in trials is essential. So, you know, patients will inform um, what trials get conducted, where they get conducted. And I think we have to be very, very responsive to that, really. Um, so um, I, I think I, I would say it's difficult to predict. Um, the model seems to be working well. It's a very efficient and effective model. It's a good use of resources. But whether that continues over the next 20 years, I think we have to take into consideration yeah. what's happening nationally, really. So, so we have to be adaptive, we have to be responsive, flexible, um, at a time when certainly clinical trials, although we don't know what's going to happen with them, they're not going to get any easier and they're not going to get any less regulated. Absolutely, yeah. Helen Pitt, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to The Business of Discovery, a podcast from the NIHR Clinical Research Network. I hope you'll join us again next time.